1: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. It is time for another book club. We're a little late on this one. Yeah, we're, we're a little behind, but we'll get there. Yeah, we are there, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> this was another listener suggestion, because today we're talking about the joy, luck, Club. And this is also another book that you had already read, right, Yes,
2: yes. And I think it's fantastic that we're doing this also because it is a PI Heritage Month. And um, though I don't necessarily think too much on it because my heritage is Korean, but all of those, like, so I think about it all the time um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) necessarily, but I think it's a, a good time for us to visit this book. And yes, I have read it before. I believe I read it (laughs) I think it was one of my accelerated reader Uh books. Because I told you I like to do the adult version so I could get all the points. And it's a very long book. And I'm pretty sure I had read it for that specifically. But it was such an impactful book because when I read it, I believe I was in my teens, early teens. And I had not read many that had any type of Asian persons or Asian representatives at all, even though it's not my culture and it's not my heritage. Obviously, I am Korean. Uh, and so, therefore, it's very different as well as the fact that I was raised in the mountains of Georgia, mm-hmm. beginning from six, seven on, because I moved mm-hmm. into the U.S. at seven. It was still reminiscent and made me long for a thing that I felt like I was missing out on. But it also felt nice, especially since the movie came out in 1993, and seeing Asian faces as an actual storyline instead of just, you know, secondary figures or um, the stereotypical figures, you know, that's often just a mockery Mm -hmm. of Asian people. So it was nice to see this and to see them human. Of course, we can talk about all of the critics who have a lot to say about how this may be enhancing negative stereotypes, for sure. But for me at that point in time, living in the mountains of Georgia with all the white peoples, seeing faces that looked reminiscent to mine as actual humans and families and stories was phenomenal and reading that as well. So definitely something that I was really excited
1: to read and I'm really glad we
2: get to revisit it.
1: Yeah, I had never read it before, but I have an interesting story about I already owned it. Yeah, And before you came to work with us, Samantha, we had a really cool tradition in our office. This was also when we were a much smaller company, and there's like 30 of us. But we would do uh, a white elephant where we would all wrap a book that we'd already read and exchange. This is a real blast from the past, but if anybody has listened to the entire catalog, or I guess just older episodes of Stuff You Missed in History class, one of the older host sarah her entry was joy luck club and that was the one that i picked and i had heard of it because of the movie i think and i it did i mean it when it came out it when we'll talk about this it was really popular and really well well received but i had not read it because i you you know you can't see it listeners with samantha can i have a lot of books you did lots and I had to I remember when I was like, I'm gonna have to set aside some time to search through my books. Right. To find you, it. I like the fact that you look back there and you're like, Oh no.
2: <laughs> Essentially trying to figure out a plan how to dig this book yes. up
1: from your yes. pile. And it was really, really funny because I like put it on my calendar. I blocked off like an hour. I rolled up my <laughs> sleeves. I put my hair up and I was like, here we go. And I got on my step stool and it was the first book on top. Oh, okay. I was gonna
2: ask, <laughs> how long did it take?
1: So it you had an extra
2: like fifty-eight minutes left. It was pretty nice, actually. Nice. So you blocked off with some uh, reading yeah. times right there. Mm-hmm.
1: I did. I did. And I i was, a, like you said, it's a long book, but it was a pretty quick read for me. Um, yeah. i It was really, really well written, and I enjoyed it quite yeah. a bit.
2: I think uh, that's one of the things about that book. It stuck with me. The uh, Of course, rereading it, it's been a long, long time. Uh, and rereading it, I still remember these impactful scenes, which we're going to talk mm-hmm. about. And just thinking on like the level. And of course, we've talked about this earlier. We talked about this in our recent uh, Happy Hour episode about heritage and legacy. And this is just dripping with all of those yeah. themes. And I definitely have a moment of trying to reconcile the fact that I don't have this legacy and I don't have this heritage and trying to debate how to find that and how that that works for me. And, and reading this book definitely reminds me of that. I think that's why I loved it too. Is it fulfilled a bit of me that I knew I didn't have. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um yeah, and this book was actually first published in nineteen eighty nine and yeah, it became a movie in ninety three with Migna Wen, which I talk about ah. all the time because I love her. I love her so much. I think she was one of the first Asian actresses that I actually saw with mm-hmm. depth. Like right. of course, Many more Chinese movies came out and I love those. So I love Hero and I love all the different actresses that we see and actors we see in that. But Ming-Na Wen had the you know, the Asian cheeks that I feel like I have that like a little thicker and cute. But like she's a beautiful woman who was not seen just as a prop. Uh, of course, yeah. she was the voice in Mulan, which made me love her even more in the Disney animation version, of course. And of mm-hmm. course, she's now part of the star wars world and i was so excited i kept screaming at the tv and my partner just looked at me like what What, what's (laughs) going on because he couldn't understand how excited i'm like and also this woman has not aged this woman (laughs) has not aged like there's something phenomenal about just having watched her literally over what 20 something years 27 years 28 years 1993 i think it's the first time i saw her and Mm -hmm. she has not changed But anyway, I'd love also uh, Russell Wong, I have a huge crush on him. So seeing him, he was actually a bad guy in this movie. So, merc. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> yes, I have enjoyed Ming-Na Wen and, uh, The Mandalorian. And I loved when she geeked out about Star Wars. And she was like, this is how impactful Luke Skywalker was for me. And to imagine I'd be acting with him. And I was like, oh, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you.
2: I so, saw her at Dragon Con once. It was very cool. Oh, I think I might actually like if I actually were to meet her. I don't get uh-huh. too flustered with celebrities because I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Right. She would be one of those that I'd just be like, oh my god, I love you. <laughs> but, and then you like quietly back. Yeah, away. And then I'd never
1: actually speak to her. Yes. Wow. (laughs) This book is written by Amy Tan, and it follows four fictional Chinese immigrant families, particularly mothers and daughters, after they migrate to the United States. With 16 interwoven stories, it tells the intergenerational and intercultural stories and conflicts of the mothers and their daughters who were raised in America when it comes to things like, yes, culture and heritage. One of the daughters, Jing Mei or Jun, journeys to China to meet her half sisters, twins that her mother was forced to leave there as she fled Japanese invasion during World War II. Um, and their mom intended to return for her, her daughters, but died before she could. So it's kind of framed around that premise of right. Jing Mei learning that and then having questions about heritage and culture and these stories of her mother and how can she tell those stories?
2: Yeah, the four families come together to form the Joy Luck Club, a weekly gathering to play Meijong and eat delicious foods that Jing Mei's mother, Su Yun, partook of in China and restarted with the three other Chinese immigrant families in San Francisco. So, and of course, the differentiations between the two clubs are very evident, uh, mm-hmm. including the fact that it kind of now has become an investment
1: yeah, club,
2: right. And they take yeah. their money and invest in different stocks. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. After her mom's death, Jing Mei takes her mom's spot in the club, and that's how she learns of her half-sisters in China and her mother's search for them. The other women in the club encourage Jing Mei to continue her mother's work and reunite with her half-sisters. And Jing Mei expresses concerns that she won't be able to tell her mother's story, and the other women of the club, Lin Do, Ying, and An Mei, admit her concerns might not be unfounded and that they have some similar concerns 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 about their own daughters.
1: Structurally, the book is set up like a Mahjong game. Four sections, further divided into four narratives. In the first section, the mothers tell the stories of their lives and remember their own mothers, although Jing Mei tells her own mother's story, what she knows of it since her mom had passed away. And yeah, they worry that their daughters won't remember them with the same appreciation or dedication that they feel like they remember their own mothers. In the next section, we learn about the four daughters, Jingmei, Waverly, Rose, and Lena, and their experiences and their own memories of their, their mothers, stronger perhaps than the mothers believe that they are. The following section digs into problems the adult daughters are having in things like relationships and careers, and also conflicting ideas about how the ways of their mothers don't fit in with their American upbringing and ways to reconcile that. In the last section, the mothers try to bridge that gap, and in the process, learn more about themselves and their daughters and the things they've passed on or haven't, whether it's culture, religion, or passivity. Each section opens with a parable related to the themes to be covered in the coming section, like sacrifice and loss, and the stories are presented in short vignettes. Through it, the readers learn the formative experiences that made each of the characters who they are, whether it's watching your mother, making sacrifices for her own mother that disowned her, an arranged marriage, or yes, leaving your daughters behind.
2: Right, and Jing Mei travels to China and locates her half-sisters, and by telling them about their mother, tells her mother stories and helps strengthen two more mother-daughter relationships. From Amy Tan, when reflecting on 30 years of this book, she said, the characters are mothers who immigrated from China and their modern 30-something American-born daughters. The relationships are fraught with years of misunderstandings and accumulated pain. A mother's hopes and expectations become a daughter's sense of failure. A mother's advice is received by a daughter as a rejection of who she really is. The mother, in return, feels her daughter knows nothing about her and has learned nothing from her mother, the one who loved her best.
1: In that same article, she wrote about how many people often perceive this book as a memoir, even though it's not, but how fiction can take pieces of truths from ourselves and twist them or adapt them. It was a really interesting take. And I loved her um, anecdotes of people coming up to her like, how did you deal when your mother did this? And she's like, well, actually, my mother never did that. I was just in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The power of storytelling is one of the main themes throughout the novel. Quote, it's useless to write about these things, my uncle said to my mother. She can't change the past. My mother said in a fiery response, she can tell people what my mother suffered, a stain she could not rub off her back. She can tell the world. That's how she can change it. And the story itself was in part The result of a promise Tam made to her mother and any deity that would listen after her mother had what was at the time preliminary believed to be a heart attack. It turned out it wasn't. Tam promised that if her mother survived, she would truly listen to her mother's stories and travel to China with her and meet her daughters from her first marriage. And she did.
2: So the best-selling book has won numerous awards and received widespread critical acclaim and regularly is included on required reading lists around the country. Including my accelerator reader and around the world. Some did criticize it for what they saw as perpetuating negative Asian stereotypes, particularly around Asian men. And yeah, there's a big conversation and back and forth about is this a great representation? Is this just that, again, model minority level of stereotyping that they put onto this? Are we perpetuating, again, a negative look at the Asian men and whether or not they are um, as abusive as? or as neglectful as they seem in this book. And of course, that's not at all, from what I gathered, what was being perpetuated. It just was not a story about these men right. in general. Um, but yeah, I know it was a big back and forth. Even I could remember about, wow, <laughs> this does not look good for a lot of like the Asian conversations, including the fact of like the tiger mom, the overbearing mm-hmm. mom, which has been also another stereotype that continues to build and not go away.
1: Right. For sure, for sure. And speaking of, we have a lot of themes that we wanted to cover. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for from our sponsor.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
2: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee
1: sounds perfect. And hey, we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And uh, we wanted to start with the theme of family, because that's probably one of the biggest. Yeah, <laughs> the, the entirety of the, of the actual <laughs> stories. Right. And especially here, the mother-daughter relationship, which is the primary theme throughout the book. As we jump from mother to daughter in the stories, we get to see um, all of these different stories as they weave together to show a balance of how each of their lives did come together and reflect within each other and off of each other. Through each of the mothers, we see the stories of loss of connection, loss of innocence, loss of family, and loss of spirit they talk about the lessons they learned through all of this and how desperately they try to teach these lessons to their daughters so that they would understand the depth of loss and maybe could prevent their daughters from going through the same tragedy.
2: Right. So we wanted to talk specifically about the tragedy and hardships. And uh, we're going to start with su Wu, who, again, we come to the story after her death. So that's kind of the catalyst of how this begins. And uh, we get to hear the story of Origins and even the beginning of the Joy Luck Club and why it's created. And her story is a constant tale of tragedy and loss and her struggle in escaping with as much as she could at the time, including her two daughters, that later gets left behind, thinking she was about to die, um, and then we see the new struggle of her trying to start over in the U.S. and reclaim her past, but again move forward in the present. And we see through the through the eyes and ears of her daughter and how little she knew about her mom and her past, and and again the regrets that her mother had. Like she really had to sit and pull from each of the aunties of the uh, Mahjong Club, as well as her father, who didn't know too much either. He just knew bits and pieces, and it had to be pulled. And then through her looking back, we know she did what she had to do. Her mother's guilt is something that is evident for the reader and for June or Jing Mei, and is rectified when uh, June is able to meet her long-lost sisters at last and, as she
1: says, put her family together and her mother's story out there. Right. And then um, if we look at Anmei Su, Amé's life, though very different from Yan's, also full of tragedy, we learn about her childhood and the loss of her father and the shame of her mother. She talks about the many superstitions of her grandmother and her aunt and uncle as she is raised believing her mother is a ghost, only to realize that they had rather her mother be dead than the life she had chosen as a concubine or fourth wife of a wealthy man. Of course, we learn it wasn't through her mother's own choices, but through manipulation and lack of support that she was forced into this life. Her mother's shame is something that her grandmother, Popo, and the rest of the family has used against her and tried to keep her away from her daughter. After the suicide of her mother, May is able to get a type of justice for her mother and for herself and her brother, but still has the loss of her mother and her family to deal with. Later in her adult life with her family in America she goes through loss and tragedy as her youngest son Bing drowns and as um, the body is unable to be recovered and much like herself her daughter Rose feels uh, the loss and responsibility of his death. And
2: then there's Lin Zhou Zhang, whose tale was a tale of will and determination. Though she was trained to be a wife to her future husband, Tian Yu, she was able to find a way out and she was able to secure freedom for herself while giving an opportunity to a servant girl who had gotten pregnant. So the story, of course, has a lot of omens and dreams Mm -hmm. and interpretations. But she was promised to this young uh, man she was trained up when she was young to be his wife. He had no interest in her and then she had described their relationship as a brother and sister. And she seemed okay with that except when it was time for her to get pregnant and because he refused to touch her and lied about all these things, you know, the mother was very, very abusive towards her. Um, And then we get to see her take that and turned that into her freedom and being able to take what she knew and to survive. Then coming to America, though, it allowed her the freedom to become a new woman. It also was a threat to her losing her own Chinese identity. But with this is the divide between her and her daughter, Waverly, who was raised to be American. And with that, seemingly ashamed, but at the same time guilty of the lack of doing everything perfectly as she thought her mother expected. Um and the conversation between Lindo and, and, and her daughter is really interesting to see, especially when you see like the battle of their wills, essentially. And yet at the same time they also are fearful of each other and feel guilty around each other. And it's an interesting like back and forth with that family, but the struggle alone trying to keep their identity at the same time is interesting to see.
1: Yeah. I was telling Samantha before we started recording, I read this in kind of a whirlwind couple of hours. And because of the way these stories are told from the first person, like at the beginning of the section, it tells you who it is. But then, at least in my book, it doesn't say at the top. So you have to kind of keep in your mind, okay, who is this and how are they related to everybody? And I started being like, okay, this is the clever one. Um, And that's how I remembered uh, Lindo and Waverly as I was like, oh, she was clever to get out of that marriage. Waverly is clever in her chess, like like finding those connections. Yeah, linking
2: the families, you have to, because I did that too, because some of them are similar, of course, because they go through similar situations. It does Mm -hmm. seem a bit similar to each other. And of course, they are intertwined, as we know, Waverly and later on, we know Waverly and Jing Mei are
1: frenemies, for the lack of better terms. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And I do think, and we'll probably talk about this more later, but I, Waverly in particular to her like final section where you can just see her like making her mom into the enemy but her mom really wasn't even there and hadn't said anything like she was her own
0: enemy like I'm sure
1: (laughs) that you know a part of that is how she was raised but it was just interesting to see her have all these doubts about like her new boyfriend is what I'm thinking of Right. And getting married to him. And this is before she'd even talked to her mother, but she's like, oh my, she's not going to like this. She's right. going to tear it apart. <laughs> and then there's uh, Yingying or Betty St. Clair. She was a beautiful, wealthy young girl who grows old at 18. She shared the story of her first husband, who was cruel and eventually left her. We first hear about some of her loss when she lost her third son, through her daughter, Lina, who translates her Chinese when her father can't understand. We later learn that Yingying had had an abortion and felt the loss of her third son was a punishment. She also fears that she somehow taught her daughter to be as fearful and unable to speak up for herself like she was during her first marriage. Though she is a tiger, she didn't show her tiger side and feared her daughter was doing the same and tried to help her. Right. I think the
2: interesting part is that her daughter didn't really know about that first marriage until later on. And right. the reason why, when she was saying, you need to speak up, you need mm-hmm. to work, you need to talk to your husband, she wasn't saying fight for her marriage, which is what we learned that right. Lena thinks is happening. Because Lena never makes a decision. Like, she works for her husband, and then her husband takes her ideas And then they have to split everything evenly. Even if it's not something that she wants, she doesn't want to fight. So she just goes along with it. And there's this whole level of like, everything's unbalanced. For Yingying, she talks about being able to see the future, being able to see omens as well. So that's what she's talking about. And like, she hasn't taught her daughter these things and can see how her side uh, her quiet side is coming out, but she needs that tiger side. The, uh, she talks about the gold and black, and the black side coming out being the fierce side. So it was interesting to see too.
1: Right, 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 right. And so one of the things that we've been touching on throughout this and is another prominent theme in the book is this idea around criticisms, or miscommunication, like the daughter's feeling criticized, not mothers to a lesser extent. And yeah, miscommunication. Obviously, I don't have the same complex multicultural or racial layer here, but I did relate to this because since my dad has died, I've been reflecting a lot on our relationship and where it went wrong, as they say. And one of the things I keep coming back to is I I really fundamentally think we did not understand. He didn't... I didn't understand where he was coming from. And I did I did find out he had a first wife, but I never knew about it. Like, I had these things where I'm like, wow, I never asked. And now I can't ask. It's too late. And there was this idea for me Maybe for some, maybe for um, Jing Mei. I don't know. But there was this idea that those questions were too painful. And right. maybe he was ashamed of the answers. Right. And that's why we didn't talk about it. But then it's the same at the end when Jing Mei learns this like, hugely important story about her mom. Why she left her daughters. It's like this formative traumatic experience. And to not know that until after she's gone. Right. I do think, yeah, there's that comes up a lot in this of miscommunicating and not feeling like just being on separate pages and not really realizing right. for sure exactly what the other person means or what they're saying. I mean, I think there's definitely a whole level
2: because I've thought about this too, because when you are the child of someone, you don't really think of them beyond the parental figure. And then when right. you realize the stories, the bigger stories, you start wondering, wow, wow, What happened? Because I've thought about that too. Again, about heritage and legacy, what we're passing on. What would I say? Would they know about these things about my past? Which part of my past would I tell them? The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, what? And I think that's, again, part of that conversation of this level of miscommunication. Again, of course, literally they miscommunicate whether it's a language barrier because the parents can't say it in English and, and even trying to formulate exactly what they mean by it. They may not have a translation for what they're saying. Just kind of the back and forth between Rose and her mother, and her mother trying to say it to save their marriage. She's no that that's not going to happen. She's just trying to say, "Say what you want. Finally, come out. You don't have to change your personality for each person. Be who you are. I see you. You're, you know, all these things." And but she could not say it, mm-hmm. even though that's what she was trying to say. And her, of course, her daughter took that as an insult of, "You need to work this marriage out." You're going to, this is a failed. failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's what we think of a lot of ourselves with our parents, whether it's, again, a miscommunication of maybe hearing something as a child and believing that was the only thing and misinterpreting what that was said. Right. You know what I mean? I think that's a big thing. And again, whether we're talking about a language barrier or tradition, the relationships show a breakdown of communication. the stereotype of the tiger mom, which is pretty heavily weighed throughout stories. Eventually, we learn at the deeper levels of why the mothers communicate or don't communicate the way they do, which again, yeah, the backbone of the fact is they're fearful that much like jing mei who says that literally says i did not know my mother and they all protested like oh no of course you do she's in your bones mm-hmm. but that was just more of a hope for themselves and they're like oh we have to talk about this but again it isn't just the fierceness of the mothers but it's a level of resentment from the daughters who are first generation uh, chinese americans trying desperately to fit in at the same time are afraid of not getting the approval of their mothers. So it's an interesting, again, back and forth, like you said, a perceived idea of resentment. Much like other families, we see a dismissal of the mother's ways and traditions from the daughters, which often seem to see their mothers as just old relics or maybe just old fashioned. Um, as in fact, as the story proceeds, we see a perspective from the mothers that show how they feel their daughters not only dismiss them or ignore them, but push them away.
1: Yeah, kind of see them as maybe weak or foolish. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, not worth listening to. Right. Yeah. Um, At the beginning of the story, we see the fears of the mothers as June does Yeah, when she talks about her deceased mom and how she didn't really know her mother at all. And um, that is the moment when all the mothers are like, oh, yeah, maybe they, uh, their own daughters feel the same way. And we've talked about failing and not living up to expectations in this context, but that is a pretty big... Theme, especially I think in the first, I don't know, maybe in both sections of the daughters. So, like Waverly, who was the chess prodigy, she thinks she's smarter than her mother. We see her stubborn pride get quickly dismantled when she is no longer able to win at chess and prove herself as a prodigy. In fact, she loses to somebody, she a a young boy that she'd easily beat, and this was all part of a kind of a tête-à-tête argument with her mother, where she's like, "I'm not playing chess." Right. And she thought her mom would be like, "You have to," but she was kind of like, "Hmm." And then <laughs> it it did it backfired, and she talks about her failure alongside the idea that her mother, she felt that her mother was taking credit for her abilities. She was bragging about her, like she was a trophy, but as if her mother had done it and not Waverly. Yeah, she spoke about doubt when she refused to give in to her refusal to play, and then yeah, later we see her doubts creep into her relationship with Richard, who she is desperately seeking. the very least, her mother's acknowledgement. And it's, it's, I liked that chapter because it was written, I mean, a lot of it was infuriating, but it was written like a chess game between right. her and her mother almost of like, right. oh, that's her play. I will do right. this play to outsmart her. Just that kind of layer of thinking where it was like, at least it read to me where Waverly was her own worst enemy in a lot of right. ways once again.
2: And then you have Rose. When Rose's story is about finding her voice, when she is silent, I, I would say due to shock when she watches her youngest brother fall into the waters uh, and, and not being able to recover and I'm her blaming herself, not being able to yeah. speak and just being... And then in her relationship with her husband, Ted, uh, whether it's an inability to talk to her husband or to save her marriage or to even talk with her mother or talk with her friends or her therapist, she talks about how she talks differently with each one, almost mm-hmm. as if she's trying to uh, appease them by giving them what they want to hear instead of whatever she wanted. And of course, the level of disappointment and criticism is internal and it seems to flow throughout her life and an inability to speak, which she finally does later and she wins. So it's like, hurrah, you did it. Yeah. I did love seeing the uh, correlation between her and the garden,
0: the yeah. weeds
2: and everything in which she talks about just loving the mess and the chaos. And then that's when she comes out and be like, yeah, this is how I feel. I like it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really appreciated that too as someone who does often find myself doing similar things. of I want to make the decision that makes everyone else happy. It's not necessarily like I, what I want. And I don't think that's always bad at all. But right. when she was making decisions and she wasn't sure why, but she was finally making the decisions, I was like, yeah, that's, I appreciate yep. this. <laughs> and then there's Lena. Lena, like her mother in her first marriage, has become a ghost in her marriage and is frustrated with her life. She struggles in finding her place and being able to work out what she wants for herself.
2: Right. So, this is one was a little different as you don't see what happens with that marriage. Her husband is completely happy the mm-hmm. way he does because he, he pretty much dictates everything that happens, yeah. as where she's just kind of like, okay. And she's been fine with that up until recently, but doesn't even know what she actually right. wants. So, And then we come to Jingmei or Jun, whose life seems to be a layer of what she sees as failures from her inability to play piano, to not being able to be the next Shirley Temple, or to her dropping out of college. She sees her failures as who she has become, often comparing herself to Waverly, because her mother does it too, she is also the one to sacrifice for others as well. As We talk about when everybody else picks for the very best for themselves, she's going to be the one that sacrifices for other people to get the best. And then it isn't until much later, she learns that her mother wasn't disappointed in her, but proud of who she was. um, And that she was proud that she was such a kind and giving woman. And it's really sweet. As we know, this kind of happens towards the end of the book when she really feels like since she wasn't able to be what her mom wanted her to be, always feeling like she was a failure. And then we know that on her 30th birthday, her mom gifts her with the piano Mm -hmm. that she refused to play and does not do well. And and it feels like like for her, it felt like closure Mm -hmm. and forgiveness. So it's a really sweet story. And then she continues her journey as she learns to discover her mother. And as she learns more and more of her story that she's never knew, realizing the depth of her mother's yeah. love and excited to share that. It was really beautiful.
1: Yeah, that was a very sweet scene where kind of this embarrassing moment for, for Jing Mei at the table when Waverly kind of really knocks her down a peg. Right. And, and then afterwards, the conversation Jing Mei has with her mom where her mom's like, kind of saying all these things you see as failures, I see as these things that make you you that uh, are, yeah, kind and giving woman. And I don't know. It was just so sweet to hear that. I think for any, anybody, it's sweet to hear that somebody sees these things in you that maybe you've just been beating yourself up for or berating, but they just accept right. you and they love you for it. It's very sweet. <laughs> Less sweet are some of the marriages in this in this book. There are not too many good examples of marriage in here. I want to include this quote. In patriarchy, men possess the highest status so that women's position is subordinate to them. And that's from Lena. And yeah, there's a lot about duty and not so much about love. Right. In these marriages. And I would say also a lot of miscommunication. (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's a lot going on to complicate these marriages, for sure.
2: Right. And again, not about love. It's definitely about duty and or uh, obligation. And yeah, again, she doesn't really get into the depths of the husbands as much except to show their failures or their progress or any of that. It's just kind of a springboard for Mm -hmm. them to perpetuate the story, which I kind of like. I'm not going to lie. It's not, you don't see too much of that. You don't see it where it's like uh, centered around the marriage and the husband in general. And even for the uh, mothers, you barely hear what's happening. And it's a lot of it is just out of obligation or survival mm-hmm. rather than love. And you don't hear much about love other than love for their children and who they were and what they've done for them. And so I find that interesting too. Again, we see even like, the new relationships like Waverly and Rich they don't really talk about love. She's more embarrassed and ready to show him off more so than anything else, which is kind of interesting in itself. But yeah, I think it's necessary, but not something they gloat about.
1: Yeah. That's the best way to say well, it. And I would I would put in here a reminder that for, you know, a long time historically marriages have been usually things of convenience or economics often at the uh benefit of the man and the detriment of the woman in a very heteronormative sense. And we do see that in uh, Joy Luck Club, especially in the mothers. But when it comes to the daughters, one of the things I appreciated about that where the problems of the marriage might have been key, but the marriage itself wasn't. But we see through that, you get to touch on issues of like sexism where, yeah, your idea, your husband is getting paid seven times more than you, and yet everything must be equal. And also, just the fallout of misunderstanding their mother. And I feel like I could be totally wrong, but I feel like there's a lot of overcorrecting in, in this where the mothers are just like, "I so badly don't want this for my daughters that they like overcorrect." And then the right. daughters are like, "I so badly don't want to be like my mother, so they overcorrect like kind right. of seeing that play out through through their marriages. Right. It does seem like a push back and forth, yeah. which I don't think is similarly to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's pretty common. <laughs> I don't think it's specific right. necessarily to like characters in this book, but and something else we wanted to talk about is friendship. Another theme in here. Just, I mean, the whole idea of the Joy Luck Club is about friendship. And um, they, they, you see that the importance of shared community spaces for marginalized folks. And as always, the power of, women sharing experiences and supporting each other. The original Joy Luck Club that Jing Mei's mom started in China, it was a very dark, painful time for a lot of people. And this was like a right. time where they got to forget that and have fun and be happy. And they would pretend like they were having this big feast, even though they weren't. Right. And just how powerful that was. And as you said, in San Francisco, the, the new iteration of Joy Luck Club did become kind of an investing opportunity and they paid for the plane ticket yeah they raised the money for at the time i believe it was for her mom Yan, to go but then they gave it to um jing mei and i think that's right wonderful yeah and it's definitely through the friendships we see the
2: connection of the old world versus the new world for the lack of better terms and how they're trying to correct wrongs together, whether it's they compete with each other about their daughter's success or they talk about um, their pasts as if uh, it was the good times, I guess. And you're right. Yeah. Again, like you said, they got the funds together so that Jing Mei could complete what Sian was doing to begin with. And it was a part of their legacy, too, mm-hmm. for her to fulfill this. And I think it was really beautiful. But I also love the fact that, yes, Jing Mei was welcomed into that community. Yeah. And she took her mom's spot. So it's a matriarch that's allowed this and continued this. And I think that's beautiful because we don't see enough of that in general.
1: Yeah, It's amazing how rare it is to see multi-generational representations of women. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, that does feel very poetic in that, you know, Jing Mei is stepping in. She was so concerned she couldn't tell her mother's story. And I love that description at some point in the book where it's like, Mothers and daughters are like stairs, like they're always going in the same <laughs> direction, <laughs> which I think was meant to be a bad thing. But I thought that, you know, as much as there might have been this distance between the daughters and their mothers at different points. And, you know, Waverly has that moment where she's like, Do we really look alike? And she's looking at her mother and herself in the mirror. And, but those are those things that will pass on to the next generation. Right. We do have a little bit more for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. To start planning your trip, visit
2: tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. We did want to talk a little bit about immigration. The daughters don't seem to see the level of courage their mothers go through to get to the United States. But there is a battle between the new identity And freedom with old traditions and past of the mothers that we see a lot. um, We see a lot of now as adult children try to retain heritage in their families and pass it down to their children. We also see through the mothers what it is like to try to adjust to this new culture and how to survive.
2: Right. And within this, of course, is also the big push, that big conversation of the American dream, which is an idea that the daughters get pushed into by the mothers who hope for, quote, the gold mountain for them or something that makes them rich and successful, which is why we see the whole you need to be the next Shirley Temple or you need to be the prodigy and and pushing them to be the better of whatever this is. And they're hoping that the daughters can fulfill the level of success that they dream of. And, And because there's this whole big idea that the U.S. or America is where you can become whatever you want to be. Grow That that whole idea is just, you know, put your mind to it, work hard, and you can have that, which we know is a Mm -hmm. falsehood. But for their mothers, it wasn't. Um, And of course, again, being able to come into the U.S. and thinking that they can get this was a part of the hope that they put onto their children and placed onto their children to the detriment of their relationship to a certain point.
1: Right. (sighs) Yes, for sure. And something else we want to talk about a little bit is um, these ideas around heritage and legend and tradition. Because those are throughout just so key and often really beautifully written, I, I thought. Right.
2: I think there's this whole level of, of course, like the East versus West or East and West cultural ideas. And we do see when it comes to heritage, when it comes to legends, when it comes to stories... Of course, uh, China is going to have a longer history and depth that we don't have in the U.S. as a very young country, as we know this, and also like being established several times over. But they do talk a lot about balance and the whole idea of keeping one corner, watching this corner and making sure uh, things are in its place. Ying talks about that to the room uh, in which Lena has put her, thinking that this is such a guest room is off balance. The table is right. off balance. And she saw the future of it falling yeah. apart and not being able to withstand. And that was really important to her. And then you you have that whole idea of the corners for Mai Zhang and the fact that Jing Mei's mom specifically picked that side as the newness a type of thing. And you're like, oh, of course that's her side. She knew exactly what her mother would pick because of that superstition and that idea. And I think, you know, as well as the crabs, they talk about the... like. Of course, food is all Mm -hmm. throughout. And we know this, and this is part of tradition. I think any Chinese... I feel like any tradition, when we talk about the matriarch, we talk about food in general. But this one, we talk about crabs and talking about the new year, the Chinese new year, and and the good luck and the bad luck, and who chooses what, and it was kind of an omen. Mm -hmm. And of course, yeah, and it showed Jing Mei's character as well as Waverly's character and who saw what. And it was very obvious what that meant. Of course, throughout all of the story, we hear about the omens and the luck. Like, I, I definitely love the whole story with, it was how Lindo used that omen of, you know, the birthmark as being like, oh, it's going to eat his face. The grand, you know, the grand ancestors are going to come and take, you know, all of being displaced. And she used that to her advantage because she knew the superstitions mm-hmm. that would help her. And you see, you hear those stories, And I'm fascinated by these stories. I don't know how real they are and how culturally relevant they are, but we know that these exist and the idea of ghosts Mm -hmm. exists. The tale of the turtle was one of my favorites too. And the omen and and the eating of the tears.
1: Yeah. And then uh, I think you can see that in a lot of beliefs and belief systems and um, religions and superstitions around the world. But like, for instance, the whole thing about the rice, if you don't eat the rice, and the pocking of the boy's skin, and then he died, and then blaming yourself. Like, that's something when I was young, and we've talked about this before, Samantha and I, I was really religious. And I would get in my head that something I had done had caused this terrible outcome and just feel extremely guilty about it. So yeah, that resonated with me too.
2: Yeah, and we know this is a depth of legend into these cultural Mm -hmm. ideas. And and again, it's not just necessarily that it's cultural, but it's familial. It's something that's passed down from family to family to family. And it just like religion and ideas and stories and all of these things, it exists as a part of their heritage and what gets passed on. And I I think that's beautiful. I think I love that story because it did have the fantastical superstitions behind the sadness as well. It was definitely, again, one of those things. Because it was originally intended as vignettes or short stories and then put together because she created this giant, beautiful book of different stories that could be broken down into short stories. It's a little confusing. (laughs) So you have to keep going back about who's doing what and who's talking to whom and who's parents Mm -hmm. to whom. It does flow beautifully together, I think.
1: Yeah. Oh Well, and I love love when any author is able to accomplish something without, like, tell so much with so little. And so I felt Mm -hmm. like Amy Tan did that fantastically where... Just through these short vignettes and even through like a sentence, she's communicating so much about me to this character in what might be seemingly a small detail or like an unimportant thing. But you're like, okay, I know something about this person just because of this, which I think is really powerful writing. Right.
2: Um, And as we talked about earlier, Amy Tan wrote this book in part as a promise to listen to her mother's stories. But unlike the characters, she didn't have children at the time. And as in fact, several reasons why she didn't want to have children. And she hasn't. She didn't have children. And again, not really based on her life. Even the portions, again, do play into this. Uh, She did write a memoir in 2017 titled, Where the Past Begins, A Writer's Memoir. So there is one out there. Yeah if you want to know more about her life. But I do love her telling of the story of how her mother was so proud yeah. of her writing this book and would just hand out these books about, you You mm-hmm. know my daughter? She wrote this yeah. book and then hands it out. Uh-huh. And I love that. That's such an amazing moment right. to see how proud she was. Because from what we gather, from what Amy Tan's own reiteration of her relationship with her mother, it was rocky. Mm-hmm much like some of the relationships in this book. But to see her mom just being so proud of her was probably one of the biggest accomplishments, I guess, for the lack of better terms. Uh, Something that she's also been proud of. So I can imagine. And I love that. I love that as part of her story as well. But before we end, yeah, I did want to talk a little bit about, again, as I said at the beginning of this episode, how... It was so impactful for me to see a mainly all Asian cast, which was so rare for an American movie. That it was phenomenal to me to see these uh, women, beautiful women, being a big story that people were latching onto. Even though, yeah, the population, we know there's a lot of Asian American people here. <laughs> we know the story is not strange, because we know that this community exists and it has been around for a very long time, but it has taken so long. And honestly, I think even with as popular as it was when Crazy Rich Asian came out, it kind of revamped that, oh my gosh, it's an all Asian cast because again, we still don't have that outside of international movies. And it's really upsetting to see when you know that there's a large population of the AAPI community out there whose stories should be told. You know, and I think it was something that's phenomenal to me. Uh, Minari, I'm so glad that it's gotten the attention it has, but it also, again, it kind of was named a an yeah. international movie, and it's like, but mm, some family that moved to the Midwest, right? What, mm-hmm. like Parasite? Understandable, it's yeah. a Korean movie. Okay, Minari, <laughs> no. it's literally about a Korean family that immigrates to the U.S. and their adjustment to the U.S., which I haven't seen, and I'm going to see, and I'm excited to see, and I'm glad it's getting all of the uh, accolades it is, but the fact that it's still very rare and it is outlined like that, it says a lot for what it is.
1: Yeah, and I know in interviews, Amy Tan has talked about her kind of frustration around that and how her... her viewpoint has kind of changed and is nuanced, but uh, the idea that a lot of times this book was classified as multicultural or something. And we've talked about that too with mm-hmm. um, some women have shaped it, like the women's literature right. kind of title. And then that very often will make you a niche where you don't, you aren't a niche and you don't need to be a niche. Like, right. And that decreases your audience. Right. Yeah, she's probably not as prominently displayed or, or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this book. And I am glad that we read it. There are so many themes we didn't touch on that we could. So there's <laughs> a lot too, a lot to. There's about. a lot in this book. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes, there is. But that is it for now. Please keep your suggestions coming. What should we read for our next book club? You can email us at Steph Media and stuff at iheartmedia.com you can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.